If you asked a teenager to name a gift that changed their life, they might pick their first mobile phone or perhaps the cash slipped into their last birthday card. They're probably not so likely to choose their education. But think how different your life might be if you had gone to a different school, one with more or fewer opportunities, one which instilled different values or gave you a different set of friends. For so many of us, where we are now is inextricably linked, at least in some part, to our education. I'm Jenny Murray, and this is Now I'm Grown Up, a podcast about living longer, career change, and education. Each week, we hear from people who've returned to the classroom, now they're properly grown up, to retrain as teachers and give someone else the remarkable opportunity to learn. This week, we're looking at the ripple effect of education from the maths teacher who opens your eyes to a career in finance to the form tutor who tells you that that apprenticeship has your name on it. Joining me to discuss this today are two experts who've spent their lives in education, considering how these ripple effects can spread from an individual's life into society at large. We have Dame Rachel D'Souza, the Children's Commissioner for England and a former head teacher, and Sir Kevin Collins, the recently appointed COVID catch-up czar. He's in charge of the catch-up programme for children who've lost out on learning during the pandemic. We'll also hear from some girls from Compass School in Southwark. They're Greta, Lottie and Ty. Now, Rachel and Kevin, before we begin, I'd like to play you a short clip where we hear from a former investment banker who only started to appreciate his education when he returned to the classroom. My name is Peter Jerram. I've been uh, teaching now for four years. Uh, I'm teaching at an academy chain in South London. I changed from investment banking to teaching because I felt that I wanted to spend A, more time with my, my children and B, because my uh, maths teacher that took me into the city was also an investment banker who had changed careers and I felt I wanted to give something back to society to do that. My experience in teaching has, has shown that my, my own experience of education when I was younger was that I went to a very good school. I think the teachers were, were generally very good um, in motivating students and to come in the best they possibly can within their life. The issue was that I went to a rather middle class school, I went to a grammar school, and what I noticed when, when going to my current school is that the poverty level and the difference between what children get in education is quite significant. I think a lot of people take their education for granted. I think it's not just the privileged uh, that can either afford to go to private or to, uh, to grammar schools, to states grammar schools, but also generally people don't understand how much an education can change people's lives. And to see some students uh, move from, from very, very desperate times uh, to, to a level of education that they're able to achieve A-stars or grade nines at GCSE or A-stars at A-level and see them actually progress onto um, Russell Group Universities is an exceptional achievement for those children. Becoming a teacher has changed my perception of education quite a lot and also means that 
how sort of social mobility changes uh, around the social circles that I deal with. I've become more interesting as a person being a teacher to other people because many people who are within my age group uh, have children and they want to understand what education is all about. And certainly with the lockdown that we've just had, people have been tapping into my resources and my ideas on how to structure days for children. And that was Peter Jaron. How, under normal circumstances, is school important to the future of society? Kevin? I think there are two ways of looking at this. On any measure, the attainment that someone achieves at school, their success at school, has a bearing on their health, their wealth and their well-being. On every measure, that's um, uh, an indicator so we know that success in education has a legacy and a lasting effect. That's why early years is so important. The, the effect just washes through your life in the life that you live. But the second way of looking at this is, if you return to COVID for one moment, the estimates are that if we don't recover the learning loss from the economists, the estimates are that this could cost our economy a hundred billion pounds of lost productivity, not a very nice word, but in its broader sense, of our people. So it's in all it's it's in the individual's interest, best interest to have a successful education, of course it almost goes without saying to say such a thing. But it's also in our national interest to have a great education system. Do we spend enough on education? We spend more than we ever have. We need to keep investing in it. I think the future is not the uh, the race on who can build the greatest weapons. The future is the race on who has the best education system. Knowledge really matters. And that's why families stretch as they do to get tutoring. But it's going to be, if you like, the new arms race is the new knowledge race. And where do we want to be as a nation, particularly in the new future for this country? We must be a successful education a country if we're going to be a successful economy and a happy and successful people. So I don't think anything matters more. I would say it would neither. The most important thing we do is educate our children. Let's just have a, a listen to Lottie, who was one of the children I spoke to earlier. And she told us how she had really struggled over the last year, both socially and academically. Um, well, my household is very chaotic. And um, my online school, it like dropped. Yeah, it was very chaotic. But mostly I didn't actually learn anything in online schooling. So when I came back to school, I learned a lot and I realised how much I miss education, how much I miss like talking to actual like people. Greta, what did you miss most about that period when you had to be home? Um, I Last year, during the first lockdown, I had this feeling that I was like falling behind and I wasn't receiving the amount of, the, of education that I that, that I should have received if I was in school, in a physical school. So how quickly do you reckon, Kevin, these kids are really going to be able to pick up? So I think what you hear from that, Jenny, is, again, it's, it's so sad to hear Lottie's story, but you hear the deep ambition and desire children have to succeed. And every time I meet young people, that comes through. So it's our responsibility to help Lottie and Greta pick up as quickly as possible. Um, and the other thing you hear is that there's a huge variation in experience. So I, I wouldn't like to declare that there's a given number for every child. 
Um, some children are going to bounce back quite quickly because of the support they've had and the support they have at home and from the school. Others, it's going to take time. I think we should be planning as a, as a country that this should take, we, we should be planning for a few years here. There are some examples when, when the terrible events happened in New Orleans after Katrina, they found it took them about three to four years to recover the loss. There are other, there are other examples as well. So I think we should be planning for the medium term. We should hope for the best, but we should plan that it will take at least three or four years to be sure that we've done what we can for our children. So, uh, Rachel, with the ripple effect that this has happened so dramatically at the moment for so many children, how do you anticipate it's going to affect their lives in the long term, that they've had this terrible shock? I mean, I think that's a great question. And and I've talked to lots of young people. And I think, first off, agree with Kevin that that they've been running back to school and really, are really keen about getting back, back to their education. And in some ways, um, you know, those of us who've worked in education and work with young people know that motivation is key. It's amazing what you can do if you're motivated. So we have to harness that. I have great faith in our nation's children. And, and I think a lot of what we have to do is be the adults and help frame this for them you know they look to us for answers and I think certainly some of the things I've talked to young people about are that you know what you've been through you're amazing and actually you've been so resilient and strong and you've overcome this and when this happens because something will happen when you're older you'll know how to deal with this so I think we can actually give we can recognize the issue but we can also recognize our children's resilience and our, and, and actually help them help them use this to be strong and show, you know, and be proud of what they've achieved. I mean, we, we've had, you know, I've seen so many examples of young people getting involved with, you know, helping the, the food banks work and helping schools with so many things and peer on peer things. So, I, I mean, I don't think it's it's all doom and gloom, but mark my words, I mean, I've got a survey out at uh, the big ask to the whole of England's children and the first 20,000 or so results are coming in and mental health, anxiety, and worries about education and, and worries about their future are, are featuring big. Sitting with that is a great ambition, you know, and a great desire to have a flourishing and successful future. So I think the challenge is on us as the adults to make sure that happens. Um, and, you know, we have to take this seriously, all of us join together and do what needs to be done. But Kevin, we know there is disadvantage now for everybody, no matter how well supported a child is. But how much extra work is going to be having to be done for those kids who are simply disadvantaged? They're disadvantaged at home. You know, they haven't had all the stuff that they needed to study in the period they've been away. How can they be helped, the ones who really do suffer disadvantage. Interesting, Jenny, before the COVID, we'd had about eight or nine years where we'd been narrowing the gap between the disadvantaged and non-disadvantaged children, which we should be proud of because that's unusual in global terms. Sadly, I think COVID on the data has probably wiped out that work. Uh, But that does mean we know what to do. And it's about being very precise and following the evidence really carefully. It's about our best teaching, um, additional support where children need it, and then these wider enriched experiences in their lives. Um, I think that the the focus must be on making sure that what we don't end up with is a legacy from COVID of growing inequality. Yes. 
If I just take one example of tutoring, we know that about 25% of children in England and 40% in London already have tutoring in their lives. That's because their families can afford it. The National Tutoring Programme, the work we're doing with government to put tutoring in the, in, uh, as a school resource, helps to make sure that every child has that opportunity when they need it. Because otherwise we see growing inequality. So the pupil premium, the use of additional resources, putting our best, getting our best teachers supported in the right schools, the work that Rachel did and the trust that she runs. The, this is where we see the transformation and it can be done. Um, so I have, again, like Rachel, confidence that if the adults do the right things and we have the will and the resources, we can make a difference to that group of children. We've done it before, uh, but we're going to have to just redouble our efforts. So, so how would you say, Rachel, we make sure that schools are improving access to equal opportunity. You know, we've got these motivated children who are so happy to be back at school. How do we make sure they have equal opportunity? So, so I mean, I think certainly, I mean, I became an academy principal in 2005. And, and I think like lots of people like Kevin, I mean, my entire career has been about working in disadvantaged communities with an absolute belief that children in disadvantaged communities should expect and can have as higher quality education and get great outcomes. That's the basis of, of what many of us have have lived for for the past for me for me I was Tony Blair's number 57 academy sponsored academy and and you know it's for me it's been a lifetime of that and I think Kevin's hinted at it hinted at part of the solution which is we have an evidence base we know how to accelerate learning we know how to help young people from disadvantaged communities with great teaching bottom line it's not magic it's it's time in front of a great teacher or even a good teacher is what's going to do it for you right but but I think we have to recognize the other things around disadvantaged communities so you know there might be issues around food and hunger you know, and we have to think about how we solve those. In my schools, we'd always have breakfast club on. When we had the extended day, we made sure everyone got tea, you know, and, and actually did that before they did homework, before they did their activities. So there are very practical things like that um, because you can't can't learn if you're hungry. So that's really important. Um, but also there's something about ethos and belief and encouragement. And we have to, but whether it's the teachers and head teachers engaging their communities, you know, engaging all the people who work, with young people to have a real sense of belief and yes they can I know this because I'm a steel worker's daughter I was on free school meals my father was uh, put a striking you know was on strike and I had no food um, I was one of five I only had one set of clothes you know the, the, the story but I knew that education would see my path through and so you know I, I did it and, and you know, I was first to go to university so I, I knew it could be done with great teachers it is harder now I think there are things about my life that were very simple. I was in I was in a really lovely supportive working class community, even though there were financial struggles. Now these young people have to cope with social media, what's on telly, and also worries that will we be worse off than the next generation. So we need to be really strong in helping lay the path out and reassuring young people and showing them that this is the way. The the, the children I've I've spoken to today are very aware of where they want to go and the kind of help they will get from education. Let's just listen to Ty, who told me how she hoped the lessons she was learning at school would support her in her goal, which is to become a journalist. 
I've always been interested in journalism. So I'm really hoping that if, like, because I want to finish university and I want to go on to sort of do, like, professional journalism and stuff. So I'm really hoping that if I try hard enough, then I can get the qualities I need to become a journalist. Like, English, like, is obviously a, a key part of journalism. So I do try my best in English. Uh, and then, Greta, what about you? How do you look forward to the future? How might the education you're getting now direct the way you go? Um, I think that... I, I quite look forward to my future and what is awaiting for me. And I think that now it's the moment that I need to be really, really concentrated on my education. My dream is to study at Oxford University. And so, of course, we need to, I need to start to learn and to study quite seriously um, from now until when I will be able to try and enter in Oxford because, of course, it's quite a difficult university to um, enter on. And so, of course, you need certain qualities. They're very ambitious, these young people, and obviously very, very hardworking. Kevin, how much are older teachers really helpful in this kind of work where children are hearing from a teacher who almost looks like a grandparent maybe if it's a <laughs> now teacher rather than a young person who's closer to their age what difference do you suppose that makes to helping them plan their life it makes me think about the um obviously in the work that I do and Rachel does you know um I love young people, but they can be overrated. There's something wonderful about the older people in the world as well, and I include, you know, uh, the, the people that have helped guide me through my life. So I think what was interesting about your question, Jenny, was you talked about the education uh, of, in someone's life and how that helps guide through to the ambitions that we heard from Greta and Ty. So I think the first and most enduring teacher in your whole life are your parents, and it really matters the environment in which you grow and thrive with your parents. Um, uh, this Schools then really do make a difference. People somehow like to downplay, but school matters. And I think what we've learned so much from the COVID experience is just how important school is, not just for the, the support in academic life, but in building the person you are in terms of the social experiences and the, the, the relationships and the peer work, just being the person you're going to be in that phase. And then the third area of, of life that so, so much matters is your community, where you grow up, who you're with. And, and I must admit, one of the... Um, the sadness is about childhood compared to my own childhood is that third space when you used to explore the community on your, in your own terms, on your own, in a free but protected and safe way. That's been curtailed and young people don't have so much time out and about in their communities as they did for all sorts of reasons. But I think when we talk about education, we must put school in centre stage, but it's not the whole stage. Families matter so much schools and the wider community that's what creates an education and that's what will determine whether our children meet the ambitions that they said they describe which are always wonderful and dreams and how do we together uh, deliver I think it's rather than just pointing all the finger always at schools having people in now teach you know while I've got the moment I think it's brilliant I've got friends who have done now teach I think this whole idea of another part to your life but also for young people to meet a different range with all sorts of experiences can only be enhancing 
We need a range. We need diversity. We know that in every aspect of life, diversity adds value. It should be the same in our teaching workforce. Rachel, you were nodding. Yeah. Just, I mean, just to come in and say we've, I mean, first of all, I'd say, I think for so many of us, and especially kids from disadvantaged backgrounds, that teacher figure can be the sort of figure that shows you a way through that you you might not have have even you might not see in your own community. So there's that my in my last role, I had now teachers in my schools and now teach teachers, and we had a banker who come to near the end of his you know you know he was in his fifties. I mean, still a very vital <laughs> great great guy, and the, it, it, and he was in the Hewitt School, and I mean the the kids were fascinated by him. They wanted to know how he done it, and you know as well as doing their lessons, the that the questions he used to get and the kind of richness of the discussion was great. So I think never underestimate the power of a teacher. And we all, I bet all of us, if I asked, I bet if I asked both of you to think, who was that great teacher or who was the one who influenced you? I've got mine. Um, so those now teach teachers with all that worldly experience, I think are even more powerful. So, I mean, I think it's, it's great. You know, the older teacher is a wonderful thing. I've got mine. Have you, Kevin? I certainly have. What what was your special teacher teaching you? Oh, mine was a, 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 someone who I now call Bernie Coates. I would never have dared, of course. It was Mr. Coates. Who the, the great thing, it was a brilliant, brilliant history teacher and a wonderful man. But my favourite thing about him as a teacher was he used to do playground duty by sitting on the windowsill at the play, in the staff room and just shout when needed to get control. But he showed you that actually he was a great practitioner, but he was an individual who deeply cared about young people and made you believe that someone had like Rachel I come from I'm one of six in terms of the boys in my family but he was one of these people that made you think that you were right at the center of what he was thinking about and he inspired me in in so many ways it's interesting again the children I've been speaking to they're very conscious of what school and a great teacher adds on to yes the typical subjects you know the the maths the geography the history the French Uh, So let's just listen to Greta, who told me what she learned at school outside of the expected subjects. When you're in school and you're learning, you're not just learning um, skills for a job or things that you learn in in the subjects that you're studying, but you also learn other things that will help you quite a lot in life, such as teamwork, or uh, um, resilience, because maybe um, you will learn to be resilient during maybe a difficult math test, and then when you will be older in your life, you will be able to keep positive. So Lottie, how important is school for preparation for your future? Um, School is very important because without school, without education, I wouldn't realise there's so many like bad things going on in the world and there's actually quite a lot of good things going on in the world. And without education, I wouldn't realise how much I needed people, how much I needed friends, how much I needed socialisation. Basically, school just like makes you learn, not just like education, it makes you learn like a lot about the world and about yourself. And it shows how much, how blind you were before school and how it matures you. I like that. That's good. I like that. That's good. What is then the best gift a teacher can give to a child? Kevin. 
As a, as, as a teacher, I, I always thought my, the best gift I could give children, I, I think there were three things. The first was I had a responsibility to support their learning the best I could. And there's a whole craft about that, actually, science about that. And I had a responsibility to bring that to bear. It's not that um, I could just be myself. I had to do more than that. I had a technical set of responsibilities that I had to understand and deliver. So that's my first responsibility. The second is I had to learn how to and develop a capacity to really engage with and talk to children and be uh, not their friend necessarily. That was important, but more that I could have authentic conversations with them about their lives and their learning. Uh, and that that takes effort, actually. It's not just having a, you know, again, you have to think of it. It's the technical phrase that people teaching will know, dialogic discourse. It really matters the kind of conversations we have with children as teachers. And and then the third, of course, is, and we shouldn't be ashamed to use the word love, the, the, th- the third is about the way we, we generally demonstrate we love our children. We care for them deeply, and, that's, and I think that's the main reason most people want to teach. Uh, but also, I, I do think it, it's not just an art, it is a craft, it is a science, and my responsibility is to bring all those things to bear, I thought, to be the best teacher I could be. So, Kevin, Dame Rachel, thank you both very much indeed, and... Work hard, won't you, both of you? We will. Thank you very much indeed for being with us. To those of you who've been listening, join us again soon for another Now I'm Grown Up. Now I'm Grown Up is brought to you by Now Teach, a charity which inspires talented people to bring their experiences into the classroom. If you feel like a change and want to use your existing skills in exciting new ways, head to nowteach.org.uk to find out how they could help you help young people like me. Or if you know someone who you think will be an amazing teacher, send them this podcast. Maybe it will be just the push they need. And don't forget to follow the show and leave it a rating on Apple Podcasts. Now I'm Grown Up is produced by Antonia Cundy and Theodora Leloudis. And the credits are read by me, Ty Holbert, age 13.